Before we look into the Word of God today, and isn't it good to have the Word of God to look into? Because I'm getting really weary of the Word of men. Before we look into the Word of God, let me tell you how God continues to do neat things with expanding influence. You may know that about two weeks ago, the religion editor of the Post-Gazette did a story about Democrats and Republicans worshiping together, and ACAC was the local focal point of that front page story. Gave us opportunity to bear witness to the fact that the Christ who unites us is greater than any temporary thing that might divide us. Well, I learned this past week that that's gone national wire service. Alliance pastor in Dayton, friends in Nashville, Tennessee, have showed me it was front page on their newspapers as well. And those are just some of the places I'm aware of because I have friends in those locales. So we're doing something that blesses the heart of God, and God is making what he's doing in our midst known far wider than we could have ever anticipated or ever created. And, and frankly, I don't need to create it. As long as God knows we're doing what he wants, that's all that really matters. But God is giving expanded influence. So if you ever wonder if you're making a difference in the world by being part of a congregation, the answer is a resounding yes. Yes, you are making a difference. Second thing I want to do before we get into the Word, I want to ask you to fast and pray, whether it's fasting from food, social media, whatever, to fast and pray two things. First of all, you know, we started talking about a year or so ago about the local Allegheny Health Network wanting to partner with us to build a massive parking garage on our land, paying for it. We would have use of it weekends and evenings. Well, that, that's still all in the offing and the planning is moving forward, but it's just hitting some unanticipated delays. Not denials, just delays. And uh, we don't want those delays to hold back the total work of God in this place. So just pray that the delays, that God will deal with them in His sovereignty. And then secondly, I'd like to ask that as you fast and pray, you pray for Karen and I. We have been going through a hellacious thing in our family for the past 12 years. You don't know that because my task is not to preach my own life struggles. My task is to preach the changeless Christ. But uh, that ugly scenario, and again, it doesn't have to do with Karen and I, our marriage, anything like that, okay? We're good. Uh, but uh, it, it, it is family, and it is very, very, very ugly, and getting worse by the moment, and touches us daily, including this morning before I had to come out and speak the Word of God. So would you just stand with us in prayer? We need a miraculous intervention because nothing short of a miraculous intervention will do in this family situation. I think I share with you a while back, I often uh, minister with a broken heart in the natural, but one that's vibrant and loving life in the supernatural. And uh, so no whining here, uh, just uh, a need. You're my church family, and I would appreciate your prayers. Now we're going to continue our year-long study of the book of Acts under the banner, Eternity in Their Hearts. And when we began this study, I said it's the story of very common people like us who had an uncommon impact upon their world. 
Not because they were brilliant, not because they were a cut above, not because of innate genius, but because they moved and acted in the power of the Holy Spirit. It was the Spirit that made them understand God had put eternity in their hearts. It was the Spirit who transformed their hearts so they could align their lives with that eternity. It was the Spirit speaking through Jesus who gave them the assignment to expand God's influence, His redemptive influence in a desperately broken world. And as we saw two weeks ago, immediately after giving them, giving them excuse me, their assignment, Jesus instructed them to wait. It wasn't intended as a test of their character, was part of the preparation for their assignment because even though they had been inspired, even though they had been instructed, they didn't have power. So Jesus told them to wait for power, specifically the power of the Holy Spirit because without that power, the odds of success in their mission were slim and none. So today we're going to look at the moment that power was given because I think you can learn a great deal about the Holy Spirit's power by looking at that never-to-be-repeated moment when the Spirit was first given. It's recorded in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise, like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. I'm entitling today's teaching, When the Spirit Comes in Power. What does God say to us? What did God say to us when the Spirit comes in power? Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, in these coming moments, by your Spirit's power, enable me to preach and teach your truth. Enable each one of us to understand it and apply it, because that's the point of the exercise, to be transformed, not just informed, but transformed. And Father, only your Holy Spirit can bring that about. So we cast ourselves upon you in total reliance, praying with expectation and faith, because we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. And as we study God's Word together today, may the Lord be with you. Years ago, I read the intriguing story about a church building in a small town that burned to the ground. And when the pastor heard that his church was on fire, he rushed there, and as he was standing on the lawn watching their place of assembly being destroyed, he noticed the fire chief. Now, the fire chief was notorious for his ungodliness. And the pastor had sought to build a friendship with him and had often invited him to attend a service, but the fire chief always declined. So, seeing an opportunity to speak to him yet again, the pastor went over and said, Well, Chief, I see we finally got you out to our church. <laughs> he was intending to be humorous, but the response that he received wasn't humorous because the chief immediately responded, Well, that's because it's the first time I've seen your church on fire. <laughs> yeah, that's an ouch. An obvious pun, but also an obvious 
insult. The fire chief equated fire with power. And he was saying, well, I've never seen the power of God in your church. Why would I come? And indeed, why would somebody get up on Sunday morning or Saturday night or any other time to be a part of an assembly of human beings that has no power or no purpose? Well, the narrative of Acts indicates that God also, like the fire chief, associates fire with power. Now, he has an obviously different attitude towards his church, but he associates fire with power. And today we're going to look at that. But before we do, let me suggest a working definition of spirit power. I always like to begin with the working definition so we're all tracking on the same page. The power of the Holy Spirit is the supernatural ability to fulfill God's purposes. It enables us to discern God's agenda, to discern God's strategy, to discern God's timing, and to actually do God's work effectively. You might say it's the ability to know the will of God and do the will of God. Now notice, it's the supernatural ability to fulfill God's purposes, not so that we might fulfill our purposes. Big difference. It's not the ability for us to carry out our will. It's not the ability to bypass the difficulties of life and go directly to heaven. It doesn't mean you'll be able to dodge every difficulty, sidestep every sickness, bind every barrier, remove every mountain, or bring a halt to every heartache. That would essentially create heaven on earth, and last I checked, that's not God's purposes right now. Later, yes, but not now. And we're reminded of that in the early chapters of Acts because right after Peter and John received power in the upper room, they found themselves in a prison cell. That's what the power meant for them. And remember, nobody walked in the power of the Spirit as perfectly as Jesus did, but he didn't use that power to wipe out the legions of Rome with a sword. He used that power to defeat the legions of hell by his suffering. He was doing God's agenda in God's timing and following God's strategy to fulfill God's purpose. One day he will judge the world. One day he will overthrow his adversaries, but that's not now, that comes later. Jesus' cross was a demonstration of the power of God at work. God's agenda, God's strategy, God's timing, and the effect, well, we're here because of the work of Christ. So the initial lesson is this. God's power can never be separated from God's purposes. If you want to do your own thing, do it in your own natural power. If you're doing God's thing, he'll grant you supernatural power. Now with that definition in place, let's consider what the coming of the Holy Spirit has to say to those of us who recognize the eternity in our hearts. And it begins to shout to us with its description of the recipients of the power. The narrative tells us that they were all together in one place. That's one of those straightforward, matter-of-fact statements in Scripture that you tend to read and then just move on looking for the really significant stuff. 
And to move past that quickly would be a mistake. Because many things that appear common in Scripture are anything but common when you see them through the eyes of spirit discernment. And that was certainly the case here. The group that was assembled in that upper room was hardly typical. It was a collection of people who under normal circumstances wouldn't be found dead hanging together. Yet here they were with a shared sense of identity, a shared sense of destiny, and a shared commitment to pray with expectancy. The people in that upper room were of different political persuasions. They were of different vocations. They were of different personalities. They were of different backgrounds. They were of different economies. They were of different ages. We know that included among them were blue-collar labor movement fishermen, as well as former big government employees and tax collectors. Now, that'll make for some interesting Facebook talk. We know there was a quiet doubter who shared the room with two loudmouthed brothers who always wanted to destroy people and call down fire. They're still on Facebook. <laughs> and their number included women. That was unheard of in that culture. A gathering of men that included women? Nobody did that. Nobody. What brought them together? They came together because those who understand the eternity in their hearts are drawn to those who share that heartbeat no matter their differences elsewhere. Let me put it differently. If Jesus is in me and Jesus is in you, the Jesus in me will always be drawn to the Jesus in you. No matter our differences. Because Jesus, and this is not a pun, has to trump our differences. Look, I am of a simple persuasion. Your primary loyalty is the one that you will divide over the one where you draw the line. If you draw the dividing line on ridiculous American politics, that tells me your first loyalty is to American politics, not the Lordship of Christ. Because as a believer, I'm called to draw the line where Jesus is concerned, not temporary junk. If you break fellowship with another believer over politics, you are an idolater. I say that without hesitation. Go roast me. I could care less. Because you have made the dividing line something temporary and corrupt rather than someone eternal and holy. That says that's your first hope, that's your first loyalty, that's your first passion, and that is idolatry. Anything I put over Jesus is idolatry. Those people were different from one another, but they shared a common impulse. The Christ who united them was greater than the circumstances that would divide them. 
And even before the Holy Spirit came, they felt insufficient on their own. Even before the Spirit came, they knew it is not good for God's people to be alone. And that lesson is being increasingly lost on increasing numbers of professing believers in our culture where it's now chic to critique the church and distance yourself from it. Every time I read a professing Christian dissing other Christians over politics, I think to myself, do you really think you're doing the work of God? The devil always denigrates the people of God. But when God's people denigrate the people of God, they're acting like the devil. The church is imperfect. It has always been imperfect. If it wasn't, you would never get in. Your stuff stinks too. When you get on Facebook and essentially call the bride of Christ a whore, I don't think Jesus likes it too much. If you called my wife a whore, you would see my unsaved side. But now that shows how spiritual you are. You see, people who are dissing fellow believers, condemning other believers, are not condemning those that they reject. They are showing that they reject what the Holy Spirit values, which is the unity of the body, which is to be protected at any and every cost in the bond of peace. That is still in the Bible, American elections notwithstanding. God doesn't edit his material every four years but maybe it's time for some to edit their life. The results of this election are showing me what I've always suspected. We've got a lot of cultural Christians, but not nearly as many genuines as we thought we did. So the first lesson is that believers need one another because the power of the Spirit is given to the body of Christ, the church. It's not given for individual agendas. Once you understand that, you will develop a greater appreciation for diverse community. You'll begin to look at brothers and sisters different than you as essential rather than optional. You'll understand there are no throwaway people, no losers, no little people, no insignificant people in the body of Christ. You will see personal differences as enlightening rather than threatening, instructive rather than intrusive, valuable rather than inconvenient, necessary rather than arbitrary. When God puts you with people different than you, it's so you can begin to detect and defeat your own personal bigotry, classism, political idolatry, and other things that have been hidden from your view and will only be flushed out by differences, never by just hanging with people who echo you. If you don't follow in the footsteps of the Spirit, If you shun other believers, you will discover that the more you separate yourself from Christ's body, the more you separate yourself from God's power. Because his power is given to his body. That's why Satan always seeks to divide the church. And right now, he's doing a good job. See, when you separate yourself from people who are different than you, Here's what you're losing. 
continuing conviction, regular repentance, deeper discernment, heightened humility. See, the story of the upper room shines God's light on the demonic fingerprints that are all over this current abandon the church movement. Oh, I hear some believers saying, well, you know, things have got to change. You've got to speak frankly, yes, but you have to speak lovingly. Frank doesn't get you a pass on love. Well, some of my fellow believers are uh, out to lunch on things. Well, my Bible says if you see a brother overtaken in a fault, restore him gently and humbly because the next time it might be you. This isn't part of my notes, but I do agree with John Piper. If Facebook proves nothing else, it'll prove that our lack of prayer and our lack of Bible study was not due to a lack of time. If you're in that cesspool every five minutes and in the Word of God five minutes a day, you're going to be a hot mess. So when the Spirit came, the first sign was the recipients, different people who are one in Christ. The second was an audible sound, the sound of a violent rushing wind. And that was one of God's frequent calling cards. Every Hebrew knew wind symbolizes God's presence. And the subsequent track record of those people indicates they got the message. See, we're inclined to think of power as something God gives us. Here's power. But the reality is the power of the Spirit is the power of God's presence. The sound of the mighty wind was God's way of saying, as you carry out your assignment, I'm not asking you to go it alone. I'll be with you every step of the way just as I promised. You can announce my gospel on hell's front porch if you know I'm with you. You won't be intimidated by strident atheism if you know I'm with you. You can invade strongholds of evil if you know I'm with you. You can walk the valley of the shadow of death if you know I'm with you. If necessary, you can die boldly, Stephen soon would, without regret if you know I am with you. Believers, stop being intimidated by unbelief. God is with you. Why would a man who has God with him and God in him be intimidated by a pagan who has no God whatsoever other than himself, and that's a mighty small God. Why do the people with divine resources live in fear of the people with no resources? We get intimidated every time somebody with a Ph.D. speaks. Many times it just means piled higher and deeper. Don't be intimidated by a Ph.D. if you have a B.A., born again. (laughs) The third sign of the Spirit's arrival was visible, manifestations of fire above the disciples' head. Once again, every Hebrew knew fire symbolizes God's purifying activity. So when the Spirit came, God was shouting that the power that enables us to influence the world must first influence us. 
The Spirit wants to cleanse those He sends. Here again, I'm not seeing a lot of that on Facebook. I'm seeing people be really ugly. And I don't hear Jesus at all. See, Jesus called us to be his witnesses, not reporters. Witnesses speak of things they've experienced for themselves, things they've experienced firsthand. So if we're going to be successful in our assignment, we must be holy in our character. You can't separate what you do from, for God from who you are when nobody's looking. I'm not saying you have to be perfect before you can witness. The devil will tell you that. Don't believe him. But I'm saying if you make a truce with any sin rather than resist it, it will short-circuit your spiritual power. Because as your purity goes, so goes your power. And I want you to notice, again, one of those things we overlook that's significant. Luke recorded that the power came to rest individually on each disciple. It didn't hover over all of them. And that's significant because it reminds us that Christian community positions us for purity, but it doesn't guarantee it because purity doesn't unfold on the group plan. Let me put it differently. Nobody is purified by somebody else's fire. If you're sitting next to somebody who's letting the fire of God purify them, their fire won't reach across the seat and purify you. That's why there are often prodigals in believing families. That's why there are often hypocrites in churches. Now, immediately after the twin signs of wind and fire, the disciples were filled with the Spirit, and from that moment forward, God wasn't just in the house, He was in each of them. So they began to speak. Because you can't be Spirit-filled and silent. There's no such thing as a silent, Spirit-filled person. Either the Spirit's filling will destroy your silence, or your silence will destroy the Spirit's filling. It was feast time in Jerusalem. Jews from every nation under heaven had come to the city that symbolized their identity. They had come to celebrate the giving of the law and the harvest. Motel rooms were at a premium. The nightly stay cost was inflated. The lines at the better eateries extended around the block. You had to wait a half an hour to get a latte. Suddenly, in the midst of all that crowd noise, a new sound was heard. First a wind, and then... Galileans, they had very distinctive accents. Think Mississippi, think Boston, you can tell in a moment. They had distinctive accents, and they heard them praising God in every language of that multinational gathering. And these weren't highly educated people, and they were telling of the mighty deeds of God. I got to thinking, earlier in history, God had confused human languages to hinder human rebellion. Now, centuries later, he empowered human communication to advance human restoration. And doing so, God made it clear that where God guides, God provides. I know that's a simple statement, but it gets me through every day. Where God guides, God provides. Prior to Pentecost, Jesus said, you're to be a witness to all people groups. You know what a monumental task that was? I'll give you a hint. It's now been 21 centuries, and we still haven't finished it. 
But when the Spirit comes in power, he always gives us signs of things to follow. If you're tuned to God, he'll always give you a little foretaste of what he's going to do on a bigger level so you can hold on. And that's what was happening here. Pentecost was just the beginning, but as beginnings go, this was pretty awesome. I mean, within minutes of the Spirit's arrival, Jesus' unlearned followers had already witnessed to at least one Jew from every language group on the face of the earth in the matter of minutes. Roughly 3,000 people came to faith that day. Now, there were probably a million and a half to two million Jews there, but I'll take 3,000 a day. I'll take 3,000 new followers of Jesus a day. See, it was a small sample, but when the Spirit's on the scene, a small sample can be a significant symbol of things to come. Do you watch for God giving you small samples of the spiritually significant things He wants to do in you and through you and for you? Because if you're watching, you'll find He's giving you a lot of small samples. Their work wasn't done, it was just starting. They weren't reaching any Samaritans. A Samaritan wouldn't be found dead in Jerusalem. And the Gentile world, who knew what was waiting for them out there? It's a good thing they didn't know what was waiting for them out there. Nobody knew but God. But when the Spirit comes, he reminds us that God may not reveal what lies ahead. He usually doesn't. But he always prepares us for it. Have you noticed that? Have you ever got to a place in your life where you come up against something and as you're praying over it and contemplating it, you realize, oh, Lord, that's what that back there was all about. You were getting, re- getting me ready for this. Anybody ever had that experience? Hey. Yeah, if, you're, if your antenna's up, it's happening all the time. Hey. If you've never seen it, get a new cable system because it's gone on all the time. You're just not watching You're just not detecting. You're just not appreciating it. But God always prepares us for what lies ahead. God has called us to expand in influence. Our influence will be no greater than our purity. Our purity will be no greater than our community. Our community will be no greater than our diversity. So while other Christians are unfriending one another, over the triviality of American politics. While people are posing as the second coming of Jesus, while Christians are doing the devil's work for him, denigrating one another in the public forum, let's just embrace community, embrace Jesus, Embrace our mission. Live in dependence upon the Holy Spirit. While others vilify one another over immigration, we'll keep blessing Somali Muslims up in Northview Heights. And we've been doing that. Because I'd rather do stuff than put all my opinions on Facebook and remove all doubt that I'm a fool. I'd rather do the work of God than talk about the work of God. I'd rather demonstrate the power of the Spirit than the corruption of an overly politicized soul. Look, we've got a chance in these horribly divisive days to be the church. 
and show the world that not all of God's people are insane. Some of them, some of them are coming together in diverse community with Jesus as their priority and witness as their mission. That's what always happens when the Spirit comes in power. Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you for what you're doing in this place. I've had nothing to do with it. I'm just a hot mess like everybody else. This is your doing, and it's wonderful in our sight. Devil hates what happens at ACAC. He just hates it. I've been reminded of that this morning. But, Lord, you're doing it. You're doing it in your power. It's not our genius. We're not a cut above. But the Holy Spirit is awesome. So while others lose their way, Lord, help us to find ours and live the kind of lives that are only lived when the Spirit comes in power. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. By the way, this is an extra. My, my mother had a lot of old sayings, and one of her old sayings just came to mind. When you're tempted to get out there and vilify people, she used to say, when you sling mud, you're just losing ground. <laughs>